listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. As you saw, five revival blockers that you must avoid. You know, people are always talking about, I want to, we want revival. Let God bring revival. I want our church to be in revival. I want a personal revival. I'm going to show you today from the scripture, five things that are revival blockers. You know, you know what came to my mind? It's like, you know, how computers have those pop-up blockers. And when those are on, it's like when you go to fill out a form or something, it won't even come up because that other window comes up with the form in it. And then you get that notification at the top of your screen. That's like, uh, you know, the window was blocked from opening because it turn off pop-up blockers and all that. That's how I feel. That's how I feel that there are things that people do today. I'm going to cover five of them that literally block revival. Now, whether we're talking about personal revival in your life, you can stay in personal revival daily. You can stay on fire. You can stay in a place where God's touching you all the time, where you're receiving refreshing, where you're receiving fresh direction and words from the Lord. You can stay there personally, but not just personal revival, but revival at your church where your church stays in that place of momentum where God's moving and touching people. And then finally, what about national revival? What about where God touches a nation? What are some of these areas that we have to be careful to avoid if we want to see God move? Well, today we're going to cover five. And I want to jump right in with you. The first one is this. Now, the way I've worded some of these, and you guys can put them in the comments, the way that I've worded some of them, um, you know, some of them are worded positively, some are worded negatively. What I mean by that is uh, some, like the first one that I'm going to give you, uh, this is what you need to have revival, but many people don't have it. Others will be like the mistake you make that pushes revival away that you have to avoid. So uh, I'll tell you which is which. So look, number one, The first thing that you've got to have to stay in revival that many don't have is urgency. That's number one. There's got to be urgency in your spirit. There's got to be urgency in your spirit. I'm going to give you two verses of scripture to go along with that. The first one I quote often, John 9, 4. John 9, 4. Jesus said to his disciples that we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day for the night is coming where no man can work. So I want you to get this right off the bat. Jesus was depositing urgency into the hearts of his disciples so that they would never uh, get to that place where they just put ministry and life on cruise control right? They wanted to be in a place where they were always feeling eternity. No matter what day it was, no matter how old they got, they were always feeling eternity. That's how we need to be. We need urgency in our spirit because notice this, if we don't have urgency, then you can always push your actions off to the future. Get that. If you don't have urgency, you can always push your actions off to the future. You know, I use the analogy a lot of times about how uh, when you watch infomercials, infomercials are designed to call you to action. I mean, they're designed to call you to action. Every single thing they do 
is time-based. You know, there's always a countdown clock. There's always, hey, if you order within the next so many minutes, then along with the product you ordered, we're going to throw in free this, this, and this. Don't, while supplies last, get them while they're available. And they do it in such a way that it injects urgency into your heart to make the move now. You know, call now. The number's on the screen. Call right now. Everything is crafted to put an urgency in you so that you will take an action right now because it does them no good to sell you that product and say, you know, we got tons of these in the warehouse. Call anytime you want. They'll probably be still here. We've got millions of them. You know, that does them no good because that put that brings nobody to the phone. That brings nobody to a place of, of purchase. That doesn't close the deal. So they have to find a way to inject urgency in your spirit. And they're doing it for something natural. Imagine about the eternal weight of glory. People are either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. And so as believers, we have to stay in a place of urgency if we want to see revival. Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10, he said, the harvest is truly plentiful but the laborers are few. In another place, he said that the harvest is white. The fields are white and ready for harvest. The fields are white and ready for harvest. So what are we talking about? Again, Jesus is giving urgency to the disciples. He's saying, look at the harvest field. It's ready. We got to get it now. It's plentiful, but we don't have the workers. Pray Pray that God would send the workers. What's he doing? He's putting that urgency back in their spirit again. Pray that God would send the workers. Harvest is ready to be reaped. So urgency is a massive, massive foundation, if you will, for any kind of revival. If people think they can just sit back and do whatever until God decides to move, there'll never be a move. You have to get that urgency in your spirit because it is that urgency that causes people to take action. You know, one of the things that uh, is very interesting to think about, that urgency sometimes, and this is a, it's sad that this has to happen, but that urgency sometimes is sparked by tragedies. Sometimes it's sparked by crisis. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, the, the, a nation goes to war. You know, and then people have loved ones that are fighting overseas. And then all of a sudden people are praying and they're praying for their loved ones and they're praying for their nation. And it took tragedy or crisis to push people back to God, to push people back to prayer. Now, it shouldn't have to be that way. But many times uh, we as uh, as human beings can get so disconnected that it takes something that's external pushing on us to get us into urgency again. And, and, and what we, what we should learn to do is stay in that place of urgency, no matter what's going on. It could be the very best year of your whole life, but even if it is, even if it's the very best year of your life, stay in that place of urgency. You know, one of the things that I I realize now is that God doesn't just look at you to check out how you're doing, uh, when things are going, uh, you know, when you're, when you're being attacked, when the devil's coming after you. He looks at you to check on you. How are they doing when they're being blessed? How are they doing when they're being blessed? 
How are they reacting to my blessing? Have they laid off? Are they now just uh, sitting around, taking it easy, putting life on cruise control? How do people react in the middle of the blessing? And see, the thing we've got to do is stay in that place of urgency. Now, I'm going to give you number two, but I want you to see the difference, lest you think they're the same thing. Number one is urgency. We have to stay in urgency, but remember this, that is in regards to others, where others are. You have to, one of the things that sparks urgency in any Christian is to have the heart of God, to understand that every individual is an eternal being that will spend that eternity in either heaven or hell. And that if we will do the things God called us to do, it will save them from that uh, curse of spending eternity separated from God. So urgency is based upon where others are what others need, what you're called to do for others. But then number two is also very important. The second thing that can be a revival blocker is complacency. I want you to put it in the comments. Complacency. Complacency. Complacency is not based on others. Complacency is where you are. See, this, this, is, this is the difference where we're separating here. My urgency is based on where others are. What I need to do to reach others before it's too late. But complacency is based on where I am. See, this is the difference. I don't want to be in a place of complacency where I've just kind of let life go. You know, I'm not even, I'm just kind of coasting. I've become complacent. Anything's fine with me. You know, I don't care. Oh, we don't have revival going on. Well, that's okay. You know, everything's going kind of well anyway. You know, I'm making pretty good money at my job. You know, family's doing all right. We still go on vacation once a year. You know, everything's, everything's pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm not, and the complacency is based on us. Urgency is based on others. Complacency is based on us. If we're going to see revival take place and stay in that place where God's moving, it has to be that those of us have made it, that are, that are going to have revival have made a decision. I refuse to be complacent. I refuse to be complacent. Let me show you an interesting verse uh, in the Old Testament. It's found in the book of Zephaniah. It's found in the book of Zephaniah, uh, and it's, it's found in chapter 1. Zephaniah chapter 1. Now, this is a prophecy about what God was going to do in Judah, Jerusalem, Israel. God was going to bring uh, judgments, but I want you to look at the type of people that he said he was going to judge, the type of people that he was unhappy with. Listen to this. Um, Zephaniah chapter one and verse 12. Listen to this. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill and their goods will be plundered. Their houses will be laid waste. Though they build houses, they'll not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they'll not drink wine from them. So look at this. Here is a prophecy of what the Lord said he was going to do. 
Look at the thing that irritated the Lord. He said, the men are complacent. He cannot stand complacency. People that just lay back and do nothing. People that just sit back, put life on cruise control. He said, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent that just sat in their tents and say, the Lord won't do good and the Lord won't do evil. And, and he said, I, I'm not going to have it. I refuse to have it. Look at Proverbs chapter one. I'm just build, building this case for you to show you how the Lord deals with these different issues. Proverbs 132, listen to this. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. Look at that. The complacency of fools destroys them. So complacency is an element that will bring destruction to your life. Did you ever think about that? Complacency is an element that will bring destruction to your life. The complacency of fools destroys them. He said, I'm searching Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the complacent men. So we can see very plainly that God is unhappy with complacency. And without question, this is something that will block revival from taking place. Because if you don't have an urgency for those that are dying, those that need Jesus, and then you yourself don't feel like you need anything, you you yourself feel like, well, you know, whatever. I'm good to go with the flow. You know, everything seems to be going well for me. Complacency. Just happy to sit where you are without a move of God. Just happy to have church as usual. Just happy to have your family be normal like everybody else and go through life and experience what everybody else experiences and have what everybody else has. And See, I'm not going to live that way. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants, in fact, let me swing back to Zephaniah real quick because I used to uh, preach a message from this passage in Zephaniah that uh, is eye-opening. It's really eye-opening. And God said, I'm going to tell you something that irritates me. And uh, I read this from um, still the first chapter. And um, he's talking about his people from, you know, how he's going to judge Judah. But I want you to see what he says. I'll start with verse four and go through verse six. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 4 through 6, the Bible says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off from this place the remnant of Baal and the name of the idolatrous priests along with the priests, those who bow down on the roofs and host of the, uh, to the host of the heavens, those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord who do not seek the Lord and who do not inquire of him. So notice this. These people had grown weary of even inquiring of the Lord, seeking the Lord. That irritated God, that there was a mixture because the people had fallen away from their faithfulness. They'd got complacent to the place now where they don't even inquire of the Lord anymore. They don't even seek the face of God. You know, you you can look at that. One of the biggest um, and, and, and probably one of the best lessons an old preacher said to me one time he said you know what you need to do always he said you need to be able to take your spiritual pulse all the time he said you need to have a finger on your spiritual pulse I said what do you mean by that 
He said, you need to know where you're at spiritually all the time. He said, people miss that. He said, and they become, it's almost like you're blind to yourself. You can see what everybody else is doing, but it's like you're blind to yourself. And this preacher told me, he said, always have a finger on your spiritual pulse. So you know where you are. Are you getting colder? you know, in your life? Are you still praying like you used to? Are you still studying the word like you used to? Do you still fast like you used to? Are you still attending church like you used to? Are you still witnessing like you used to? Where's your spiritual pulse? Are you getting hotter? Are you getting colder? Are you getting more complacent? Are you catching more on fire? Are you stepping into the things God's called you to do at a greater level? Have a spiritual, have a finger on your spiritual pulse. This ensures that you'll never get to that place of complacency. You have urgency for others, but you will not be complacent in your own personal life. Probably the best way to do that uh, so that you never fall into that trap is to have goals for your own spiritual life. I would say, I mean, if you're going to have revival, why not set goals for your spiritual life? I've talked about this on the broadcast. You know, if you set the goals, it ensures that you'll never do those um, those spiritual disciplines when you feel like doing them, right? Because that's when you start to fail. Well, I'll pray when I get a chance. I'll read the Bible when I get a chance. You know, all those things. Instead of that, why don't you set goals that will keep you from ever? It's a safeguard against complacency, right? So you could say, you know what? I'm going to read nine chapters of the New Testament every day. I'm going to read the New Testament every month by doing nine chapters a day. I'm going to pray 30 minutes, an hour a day. I'm going to set that time aside, put it in my calendar on my phone. This is my time to pray. If I've got to get up a half hour earlier, if I, whatever it might be, if I have to skip an episode of a Netflix show, whatever it's got to be, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray daily. I'm going to schedule days in my month where I'm going to fast and pray. And you know, I've talked about this, talked about it in our new fasting book that came out for this year, that what if you just said, Lord, I will give you three days every month where I fast and pray. Did you know that would be a tithe of your year? That would be 36 days of fasting a year. That's 10% of the whole year. And if you said, Lord, I'll just do three days a month, three days a month. You know, the, uh, the disciples and the early church used to fast two days every week, every week, Wednesdays and Fridays, they would fast. They would fast, set themselves apart and fast and seek the face of God. Doing these kinds of things will ensure you never grow complacent. That's number two. Number three, the third thing that is a revival blocker, if you will, is convenience. We have to do things whether it's convenient to do it or not. You know, it's always funny to me. I put a tweet up. Let me see if I can find it. Because this made me laugh. I mean, I was just thinking about things that that crack me up about church, and uh, and I tweeted this uh, a while back. Let me see if I can find this because I said, you know, people are really hungry for revival, really hungry for for revival. As long as, and then I listed these. Let me see if it's not far back. Cracks me up. Oh, I hope I can find it.
Man, who does all these live streams all the time? <laughs> yeah, here it is. Christians are hungry for revival. As long as there's childcare and it's not too loud and the weather isn't too bad or too nice and they can still be in bed by 10 p.m. That's exactly it right there. That's exactly it. Oh, yeah, revival. We're going to have a revival. That's awesome. Now, is there child care or, you know, you know, if I can get a ride, you know, I'll be there. You know, it's like, you know, it was a little loud last time I was there. And, you know, it's really just really nice out. We're going to take the family to the lake. It's like people, they say they want revival. There's Christians that they go off, oh, we're, we're pressing in for revival. We want to see God move. As, and then convenience is their killer. Well, you know, conven- it wasn't as convenient. It was a little inconvenient to have revival. You know, it was a little inconvenient on our people. It was inconvenient for the families. You know, it's a school night. Who cares? Who cares? You're cutting your kids out of church so you can go send them to some anti-Christ school. It blows my mind. We're going to keep the kids out of church so we can get them to bed early so we can thrust them right into that anti-Christ school system. And then the people wonder why people are jacked up. It's because we've put other things over God. It's like, I don't know why my kids are going south. Because we've prioritized travel baseball and sports and trips to the thing. And we don't prioritize church or God's house. People are like, I don't know why everything's going south. I know why. It's because we've allowed convenience to define whether or not we'll be faithful to God. Convenience. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. And there's a lot of people that will not ever be in revival. There's churches that will not ever have revival because it's inconvenient. It's inconvenient. Well, you know, we have people that uh, they like to be home. You know, they like to be out by 1130 on Sunday morning. And so, you know, you know, the other thing too is like when I, when I see pastors get up and apologize, you know, that's one of the things that turns my stomach and there might be pastors watching. And so, uh, you know, if, if you hear this, you hear it and you need to hear it. But as a, I'll just tell you this as a guest speaker, as an evangelist, that's one of the things that turns my stomach. If I go to a church and I, and I get up and preach on their Sunday morning service and then I hear the pastor get up, like I do just, I, you know, I come and do the normal thing that I always do. And then, you know, you hear pastors get up after I'm done preaching and they'll be, or any, any preacher that preaches for revival and say, well, how, you know, how many know we went a little longer today than we normally do, but amen, it wasn't that good. It's like, that's your first thought when you get up to take the microphone. And I'm not saying this from a purely pastor uh, evangelist standpoint, because I was an associate pastor for nine years or whatever it was. So I've, I've been on both sides of the fence, but that's your first thought. Is that really your first thought when the, when the service is coming to an end? Well, how many know, you know, we went a little longer than we normally do to this morning. Amen. But you know, it's, it was how many enjoyed it though. It was, it was God. It's like, who gives a crap? Who gives a crap when you actually let your service out? Well, we normally try to finish up about 1130, but how many know it was good to, who gives a crap? If people don't like it, stay home. You know, that's, that's why I've like considered not even coming to people's Sunday morning services anymore. It's because it's like, they're so set in stone with this stupid way that they do church that if any, if anything deviates from the path of how they do their Sunday morning service, that they're going to get up and make apologies. Well, how many know this isn't normally what we do? Amen. We, you know, we won't always keep you late like this. (laughs) It's like, then freaking stay home. If you can't handle being in church for longer than an hour and a half, meanwhile, you go to the movie theater and watch a three-hour James Bond movie. 
freaking ridiculous. And then people are sitting around wondering why, I don't know why kids are going, because you, you apologize for keeping people in church for longer than an hour and a half. Well, how many know this isn't a ridiculous convenience? Oh, we're sorry we stepped on your convenience today. Uh, when did we get you? You know, you got a pot roast in the oven back home. And, uh, how many know we went a little longer today, man? It's like, we're going until we're done. If you got to leave, then leave. We're going until the Holy Ghost has done all that he wants to do. It's not our service. It's his service. So if you don't like it, then just go home or go to another church where they're dead and dry and shriveled. It like blows my mind. Pastors get up and say that kind of crap. Why don't you catch on fire again, pastor? Talking to you, pastors that might be watching this, have to apologize every time the service goes past an hour and a half. Sack up. Talking to pastors. I hope you know what that meant. <laughs> Apologizing. Well, we kept you a little longer. Ridiculous. Sorry we stepped on your convenience. Sorry your church couldn't stay dead and dry and shriveled. Well, we'd like to have revival, but you know, we'd like to try to get the people out by 11.30, 11.45. Then you do it. Don't call me to come and travel all the way to where your church is and then tell me after I've done five, six hours of flying to come, well, if you don't mind, we'd like to just get out in about an hour and a half. Then you have the service. Don't call me in for that. Don't call me in. That's why that's I said, like, I would, I'm thinking about just starting service, starting revivals on Sunday nights because those are the ones where people come back that are hungry anyway. The Sunday morning, I promise you, after having been an evangelist for a while and growing up in evangelism, I can tell you this wholeheartedly, that when you go to a church and have a revival, um, I don't care what happens in that Sunday morning service. I honestly am telling you, people that are dead could get up from the dead. They could be resurrected. You could pull a coffin in and pull a dead man out of the coffin, and there would be people in the Sunday morning service be like, hey, man, wasn't that great? You know, I'm not going to be able to make any of the other nights this week, but I'll be back next Sunday. For a There's people that it doesn't matter what happens in the service, they only come on Sunday mornings. They won't be back Sunday night. They won't be back Monday night through Friday. They only come on Sunday mornings. So you know what? Have your dead little Sunday morning service and keep it. I have no desire to be there for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm just putting this out there. I might make this part of my um, package that people have to watch, like when they invite me to preach at their church. We're going to just clip this section out, Zach, put it in the media packet, and if, if pastors want to have me in, watch this little part, pastor, because if you're going to tell me to have it wrapped up in an hour and 45 minutes, it's not happening. Preach it yourself and have your own revival. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. It's convenience. This is why people don't have revival. Convenience. You know, I, I can, I, and, and listen, I'm observant. I can spot who all those people are in the church. I can spot every last one of them because they check their watch about every seven minutes, checking to see what time it is. Then just freaking get up and go to your car. Stop making me look at you, watch your watch every seven minutes. If you're really that much of a spiritual loser, that you can't stand being in the house of God. Well, I love the Lord with my whole heart. I'm sold out to God. Yeah, but you can't stay in his house for longer than an hour and a half without checking your watch 32 times. Just go to your car. Just get up and leave. Or why even come at all? Are you stamping your card? It's ridiculous. I don't I just, you know, I, I, thought, the, I thought the service was good. It was just a little long, in my opinion. 
<laughs> when I was younger, I'd actually have people say stuff to me about it, like from the service, like like the actual people that go to the church. Well, sounds like you've got a lot stored up in there to preach. <laughs> no, but people are apparently smart enough not to say that stuff anymore because I'll let you know. I'll let you know straight off the bat. <laughs> they don't they don't say that kind of stupid crap anymore because now I'll be like, you know what, buddy? If you can't handle it, you might want to check on your salvation before you end yourself in a fiery hell burning that cellulite behind up. And I'm not ashamed to say these things because the American church needs to get back in revival all over the place, all over the place, playing little games, seeker-sensitive games for the sake of convenience. Exactly, AJ. Sounds like you have a small appetite for the word. Yeah, I saw it running out your nose and ears and mouth. I thought I'd shovel some more in, you dead, dry son of a gun. Convenience. We've stepped on their convenience. (laughs) number four i'm just gonna i'm just gonna be very plain about it because people need to hear it number four no hunger people don't have revival because they got no hunger (laughs) no hunger i'm hoping pastors were watching so that i don't have to like say that again we'll clip it out and just send it out to people (laughs) hashtag sack up People are putting in the comments. Hashtag sack up. No hunger. That's a dangerous place to be when you've got no hunger. Can I tell you something? Think about this. Think about this if you would. If you're suffering with something in your body, like a disease, a sickness, did you ever notice that one of the first things that happens to a person that's dealing with that is that they lose their hunger. Did you ever notice that? People go to the hospital. They're always trying to get them to eat something. You need to eat something. You need to eat something. I'm not hungry. You need to eat something. I'm not hungry. You ever notice that? That when people go to the hospital, they're battling a disease, they're battling a sickness, that the nurses always have to push them, their family always has to push them. You got to eat something. We need you to eat something. I'm not hungry. I've lost my appetite. A loss of appetite is a sign that something is seriously wrong in your body. Loss of appetite is a sign something is seriously wrong in your body. And when Christians have lost their hunger, it's a sign something is wrong in your Christian life. Something is seriously wrong in your Christian life. In the same way it's true in the natural, it's true in the supernatural. I'm just not hungry. You need to eat something. Because in the Bible, one of the things we recognize is true. The Bible says, blessed, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's Matthew 5, 6, Jesus preaching his sermon on the mount. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's a blessing that comes from spiritual hunger. Dr. John G. Lake said the number one thing he would impart to Christians, if he could, all over the world is spiritual hunger. That is the thing. Here's a man who saw nations changed, who saw so many, hundreds of thousands of people healed miraculously. And he said, of all the things I could give to a Christian, if I could impart it to him, it would be spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger. 
a lack of hunger is a dangerous sign in your life. If you're not hungry, you're dying. If you're not hungry, you're dying. Put it in the comments. Anyone who's not hungry is dying. Might be dying slowly, but you're dying. And the thing about the kingdom is the more you eat, the hungrier you become. It's the opposite of the natural realm. In the natural, the more you eat, the less hungry you are. But in the kingdom, the more you eat, the hungrier you become. The more you eat, the hungrier you become. Hallelujah. Listen to this. The Bible says in John chapter 6, verse 33 through 35, John 6, 33 through 35. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me will never thirst. What's he teaching here? He's teaching that I will fulfill you always. I will fulfill you always. Look at the way that the culture of the world in the first century church, second century church, third century church, the culture, the harsh culture of the world could not kill their hunger for God. This is so, this is one of the most perfect examples you could ever use. He said, because I'm your fulfillment, you'll never have to hunger. This means they'll never starve spiritually. But it doesn't mean that they won't have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. He's saying that you'll never be without. I will fulfill you. Look at how it manifested in the early church. It didn't matter that it was a death sentence to be a Christian. It didn't matter that they were killing everybody in gruesome ways. None of that persecution ever dulled their hunger for God. The more they went through it, the hungrier they were for God to the point where they were like, you know what? Go ahead and kill me because I can't get enough. I could never say that he's not Lord, that he's not risen, that he's not coming soon. They could never say that. They, In fact, they, they proved this by their own actions. I would rather die than I would get cold on Christ. I would rather die than I would get cold on Christ because he's alive. Jesus is alive. I belong to him. He belongs to me. And notice, the more they lived it, the hungrier they became to the point where they were willing to take and taste death rather than to back off of their relationship with Christ. One of the things that will shake you up if you've never read it, you need to go read it. Have you ever, put a hand up in the comments if you've ever like looked through or read through Fox's Book of Martyrs. Has anybody watching ever looked through any of that? Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you haven't, you ought to go look through some of the stories in Fox's Book of Martyrs and see the stories of those who gave their life for the gospel, gave their life for Christ. It, it'll shake you up to see like what people were willing to do for God because they would not grow cold. They would not become uh, complacent. They wouldn't give up their hunger. If you've never heard of that, Google it. Fox's book of martyrs and go read some of the stories. It'll shake you up. 
Yeah. It'll shake you up. Open your eyes. The more you eat, the hungrier you become. The less you eat. See, that's what happens. Your flesh begins to take over. The less you eat, the less you read the word, the less you pray, the less you go to church, the more complacent you become, the less hungry you become. And then you got to kickstart it again by getting your flesh out of the way. That's why for, for some people, fasting and prayer is the best thing they could ever do because their, uh, their flesh has so taken over that it's going to take fasting and prayer just to kickstart them back in to that spiritual hunger again. And, and really one of the things that's a benefit of fasting and prayer is it literally, it moves your flesh out of the way. It's like you're wading through the flesh, moving it out of the way so you can get back to spiritual things again. And it's huge. It's huge. And that's why people need it so much. That's why the early church, they said, in order to get to the place where we'll never be complacent, never be uh, in that in that state of no hunger, we're going to take two days every week and fast. What were they doing? They were not only obeying the command of Christ, who said, when I leave, my disciples will fast, but also, I, I wrote this in the book if you haven't read it, uh, number one, Jesus told them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, the Pharisees fasted two days a week. But if you read early writings of the apostles that were not in the Bible, like the Didache, they said, you know what? We're going to fast two days a week, but not on the same days. They said, so we won't be like the hypocrites, which they were referring to the Pharisees. That was Jesus reference. But they would do it two days a week, but on different days. And so they were saying, not only are we going to obey Christ's command, not only are we going to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, but this will ensure that we never become complacent. It'll never let our flesh take over. It keeps us in a place where we are focused on what God wants us to do with our lives. I'll give, give you number five. So number one, we need urgency. Number two, we have to kick out complacency. Number three, we have to ignore convenience. Revival's not going to be convenient. It's going to go late. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have to wake up early for work and school, but it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the sacrifice. You know what? Because it blows my mind. Because you know, people go home anyway. They don't go home and go to sleep. They go home and get on television. They go home and get on their computer. They go home and get on their iPad. They go home and get on their phone. People don't just go home and get in their jammies and go to bed. They stay up watching shows. They stay up on their iPad, on their phone, whatever. They're up. So why not be in the presence of God instead of wasting that time? It's, it's, revival's not going to be convenient. Any, Listen to me when I tell you this. Anything worthwhile in your life is not going to be convenient. Is it convenient to work out early in the morning before you go to work? Is it convenient to run three miles a day? Is it convenient to do all those push-ups and pull-ups? Is it convenient to change your diet to eat healthy? Is it convenient? No, none of those things are convenient. In fact, convenience is a killer. It wasn't, you look at this, and I, and I know I'm kind of stepping on my own toes on this one, but it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution where it went, once we had electricity that was readily available to everybody and everything, and we started doing fast food restaurants and we started doing TV dinners and we started doing drive throughs and all the things that came from, from that moment, and electricity let us stay up longer than we ever had before and all that, it wasn't until that that we started having nationwide obesity, childhood obesity. None of those things existed before the convenience existed. 
If you worked before, you worked manual labor all day long from sunrise to sunset, and you ate when you had an opportunity to eat, and you ate homemade food, and you went to bed. And it wasn't until we had all these things with preservatives and stuff that could be, you know, kept in the on the shelf and kept in the refrigerator and drive-throughs and all. It wasn't until all these things with that were convenient came that we started having these uh, obesity epidemics to the point where people had to make choices. Like we're taking away the supersize. <laughs> you know, it's like none of those things existed before there was convenience. The more convenient something is, many times, the worse it is for you. Things that are worthwhile are rarely convenient. I'm going to say that again. Put it in the comments section because this will change you to understand it. Things that are worthwhile are rarely convenient. Things that are worthwhile are rarely convenient. It's going to take extra time. It's going to take a sacrifice of time. If you're making something, if you're an artist, if you're a, if you're starting a business, if you're, you know, it's not convenient to start a business. People that say they want to start a business and they work nine to five jobs have that and think, oh, it's going to be just so much easier working for myself. They don't even realize that it takes about double the time to own your own business as it does to work for somebody else. You work for somebody else for 40 hours a week. You'll work for yourself 80 hours a week. And people don't know it. They think, well, it's just easier to have my own business. I can make my own schedule. Not if you want to succeed because it's not convenient to do anything worthwhile. It takes work and hard work. And so does revival. It's work. <laughs> it's work. You know, you talk to me. People think, you know, it's, oh, what a, what a glamorous lifestyle. You don't even know what it's like to work night after 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 night. And thank God for what he does. But let me tell you something. It's work. You work for the Lord. You work for the Lord. It tires people out to work for the Lord. Of course it does. He renews your strength, but it is work. It absolutely is work. And, and things that are worthwhile aren't convenient. They're inconvenient. That's why there's only a few people who do them and become successful because not everybody is willing to live a life that's inconvenient. Not everybody, that's why that as you go higher in what you do, there's less and less people at the top because the, it takes real strength, willpower, and vigor to, to push every convenience away and say, I'm willing for life to be inconvenient to rise to a next level of success. And that's why revival is not being had by everyone because not everybody's willing to pray. Not everybody's willing to fast. Not everybody's willing to uh, spend time and put other things away. That's why. And that leads me to number five, prayerlessness. Prayerlessness will keep you from revival. People refuse to pray. Well, you know, I just got busy. I didn't pray. If you don't pray, you're not going to have a move of God. Bottom line, if you don't pray, you're not going to have a move of God. <clears throat> if you want to have God move, he said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. Heal their land. Got to pray. Dylan Dross said, I thought evangelists and pastors just drink coffee and preach a few times a week. <laughs> he grew up in a pastor's home. He knows what I'm talking about. I was laughing. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine in West Virginia, Pastor Josh Van Hook. He said, 
people will still stop him because he's the pastor there in West Virginia. They'll say, so what do you actually do? Because <laughs> they don't have no idea that ministries work. You know, people say, what do you actually do? You know, people have this idea that if you're a pastor, you basically just golf all week long and then just preach Sunday morning and then go golf all the rest of the week long. It's like, you have no idea, bro. You've got no idea. What do you actually do? Prayerlessness is a killer. He said, you've got to pray. You've got to pray. Prayerlessness. You cannot be prayerless. If you want revival, you got to be a person of prayer. And you have to prioritize prayer. Has to be a, a very important thing in your life. And we've helped, we've done everything we can to help you on that. You know, we've given you prayer points. I wrote the book on fasting and prayer to help you. We want to see people praying. We want to see people fasting. It's so vital that you fast and pray. <clears throat> Without it, you're not going to see a move of God. Do you realize Jesus was, and I'll, I'll give you this before we pray. Jesus had all those powerful things happening in his ministry, raising the dead, blind eyes coming open. The lame were walking, lepers were being cleansed. However, the only thing his disciples ever asked him to teach them was teach us to pray. You know what that shows me? That the disciples understood that the reason Jesus can have all of these things happen is because of his prayer life. And they saw it being around him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. You know why they said that? They said it because they wanted to have the results Jesus had, but they knew the only way to get that result they were looking for was to pray like he prayed. In fact, there were times when Jesus rebuked them. And what did he say to them when he rebuked them? They said, Lord, how come we couldn't cast this demon spirit out of this boy? And Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. And then later he says, this kind of demon only comes out by prayer. And some translations and some manuscripts, prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. So Jesus was saying, you are not able to perform certain acts of faith because you've not prayed consistently. Think about that. These are the apostles we're talking about, handpicked by Jesus, failing in their work. And they said, Lord, why are we failing? He said, you're failing because you're not praying consistently. You're failing because you're not praying consistently. And so prayer is key. Prayer is key. To give it to you again, we've got to have urgency. We've got to remove complacency. We've got to bypass convenience. Bypass it. I could have stayed on that one all day long. Because we, there's people, and it's the one probably I see the most, is that people are waiting for what's convenient. And then we've got to be hungry, and then we've got to pray. Robert says, what if you have hunger and you're reading and praying, and then a couple of weeks in, you feel like your hunger's left? How do you handle or help with that, as well as how do you help stir a hunger into others? Fast with your praying. Get your flesh out of the way. Fast and pray. Fast and pray. How do you help stir hunger in others? Be a person of the word. Be a person who has something in the spirit to impart to somebody else. 
Be a person who has something of worth to say to somebody else, a faith word to build their faith. Speak the word instead of speaking what's going on in the world. Speak the word to people, encourage them, impart to them by saying what God says. And fasting and prayer will help you immensely, Robert. Help you immensely. I'm going to pray for you, those that are watching. I'm going to believe God that our churches, we need it. Our churches will come back into revival. Our lives personally would come back into revival. And our nation would come back into revival. Nationwide revival. Nationwide revival. Nationwide revival. When you see what's going on in these other countries, when you see what's going on just to the north of us, we need revival to hit this nation again. We need people to stand up and take that stand for revival. We have to do it. We have to do it. Father, I pray for all of those that are watching, all those that are listening. I pray in Jesus' name. Number one, fill us with a supernatural urgency. There are those that are dying and on their way to hell. They need the gospel. Give us an urgency in our spirit to do what we're called to do, to reach those that need Jesus. Number two, I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would put a fire under us. Never let us become complacent. Never. We do not want to be complacent. Burn it out of us by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Burn it out of us. Lord, never let convenience govern our actions. Give us a strength to do what's inconvenient so that we can experience the presence and power of your spirit. Keep us in a place of hunger. I pray that a fresh and a new hunger would come upon every person watching, every person listening in Jesus' name, a fresh and a new hunger by the power of the Holy Ghost. And then finally, Lord, give us a desire to pray like we've never prayed. Give us a desire to seek your face by faith like we never have. In Jesus' name, use us for your glory. Let this be the greatest end to a year that we've ever had. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, open doors that only you can open. Set things in motion that only you can do. Let wonders take place in these last three months, and you'll get all the glory for it, Lord. You'll get all the honor. We love you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Don't forget today at 2 o'clock, Carolyn is going to be back live. And on Friday, she'll be back for Friday Favorites also. Not going to want to miss that. Uh, Also, again, let me say, brand new kids uh, Bible study out today on Daniel. Staying faithful to God in the midst of persecution, culture, government, whatever. It's available right now. Also, the Miracle Word hoodies, the Victory Tribe hoodies are now available. You can get them on the store. They're shipping right now, yellow and white. You can get your size. Uh, It's up and available. I don't know if we have a slide for that. You have it? Cool. You can see them. They, They came out so good. They're champion hoodies, premium champion hoodies. I love them. I love them. Um, really, really happy with how they turned out. And they, they, not only they fit great, they look great. Uh, Liz said, got me a yellow. They're fresh. They're really fresh. Um, we got some other things coming here shortly as well, but don't miss those while they last. Grab your one. And, um, let me also say that, um, 
we would really love to see you on November the 12th. We are literally one month away from the homecoming, Victory Tribe homecoming weekend. We're going to have a powerful time. It's going to be awesome. All the information, <laughs> Ashley said, I got white, Ted got yellow. <laughs> That's awesome. You guys are going to look great in your Victory Tribe hoodies. I love Ashley and Ted. They're awesome. They are awesome. Love you too. I want to give you an opportunity to sow a seed today. All the information will be up on the screen. You know how to do it. Do what the Lord's asking you to do. Sow a seed that the Lord's speaking to you to sow today. And as you do, you're going to be blessed. What are we believing? What are we staying on these last three months? I'm not going to let you come off of it. Wonders. We're believing for wonders. God's going to perform wonders in our lives. It's going to blow people's minds when they see what God's doing. It's going to blow people's minds. I'm staying on that because I'm not believing for small things. I'm believing for big things, big things, the kind of stuff that just, it makes religious people mad, big things. I'm believing that for that, for you too, for your business, for your children, for your family, for your finances, big things for your church, your ministry, big things are going to come to pass that we are not slowing down in the last quarter of this year. We're speeding up and then we're going to go into 2022 It's our year of divine possession in Jesus' name. It's our year of divine possession. Hallelujah. Amen. Running through 2021. Ashley said last night's praise and worship needs to be an album. It was amazing. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I love that song. I don't know if y'all caught that song right at the end. We kind of made it up on the spot, but I liked it so much. I think I'm going to record that one song. We're we're doing it right now. We're doing it. It's in the final stages. It's coming out. It's coming out soon. The live album. Dylan Got White. It's going to look fresh. Thanks to everybody that's standing with us in partnership. If the Lord's speaking to you, join us. Join us in partnership. Go to the website and click the partner page. You can do it there. You can give one-time seat if you'd like. All the different ways to give are on the website. You can use your debit or credit card, Cash App, PayPal, Zelle, cryptocurrency. There's all kinds of ways to do it. And I say thanks to everybody that's standing with us. Gina said last night was amazing My three year old said while she was watching Jesus lives in my belly That's a little thing but big you know It is big for her to have understanding That out of your belly flows rivers of living water That's a big thing for a a little one to understand It's awesome We want the young ones to be touched Changed by the power of God I love you guys so much Have a powerful day Carolyn's live at 2 We're back here for Revival at 7pm tonight It'll be on all platforms Have a wonderful and a blessed day, and I'll talk to you later. See ya. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.